to the MetaZen cabinet where we get experimental about exploring your potential so you can discover your own values, the manner in which you're here to serve, and align yourself with the only certifiable rescue team you can rely on, yourself. Episode 6, Roster of Imposters. Still trying to figure out how they hired you making double your previous salary when you don't even have a damn degree? Still trying to understand how you're the valedictorian of this prestigious university when the average ACT score at your high school was a 14? Still trying to figure out how you bought and paid off your house by 30? Well shit, me too! Welcome back to the medicine cabinet. If you're new here, salutations. And if you're coming back, what up, cuz? <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about in the imposter syndrome, y'all. I know, you know, we hear about it here and there, but the imposter syndrome is something that has very much so affected my life. So I wanted to do an episode about that and hopefully bring some awareness to it and help make the condition or the experience a little bit more common and not something that, you know, one out of 500 people are experiencing because it's a lot more common than that. In the first segment, we're going to discuss not feeling good enough and not quite feeling worthy of your accomplishments or your wins in this life. In the second segment, we're going to discuss imposter syndrome and talk about what it is and how it comes about and how you may have it and you may not even know, you may not even realize it. In the third segment, we're definitely going to hopefully remove the stigma and assure you that you're not alone and even give you some techniques or just some strategies to go about tackling imposter syndrome in your everyday life to help dismantle it and hopefully eradicate it soon. So stay tuned. Bruce Watson said, Relentless criticism in childhood can internalize a parental scorn that no amount of success will silence. I wanted to start this episode with that beautiful quote because in my opinion, I feel like the bulk of the feelings or the emotions of unworthiness or worthlessness typically starts in the beginning in your childhood. I feel like society puts a great deal of effort in training us and programming us to not question the beginning, not question our childhood, not question our parents, not question their behaviors, their intentions, their 
shortcomings to really not question anything. And it's my effort that in this episode, we can do that and recognize that we're going to do it in a way that's informative and it's not a victim mindset by far. Me personally, I feel like the difference between a victim and a victor is projected truth versus accepted experience. And with this episode, I want us to get into the nitty gritty of the different things that have transpired in making us not feel good enough or feel worthy of beautiful things transpiring in our life. Speaking from personal experience, in my household, it was very evident and actually still very evident that there was a tremendous lack of mental wellness and a severe lack of emotional honesty, meaning that there wasn't much regard for mental well-being in our home, for our parents, for the children, for anyone that lived there. But there wasn't a regard for mental well-being. And when it came to emotions, there was actually a strong wall and, and or disdain for telling the truth when it comes to how we feel or how something makes us feel or how someone makes us feel. I grew up a gay adopted kid who didn't know who he was in terms of identity. I didn't know where I come from. I didn't know any roots in terms of who I was connected to. And in terms of my personal identity as a black male, I didn't know who I wanted to become as a man. I didn't really see anyone at all that mirrored a personality or a lifestyle or a way of being that inspired me and put me in the place of identifying with who I wanted to be. So I lacked identification on so many major scales so very early. I was very young, actually too young, and definitely no older than about maybe six or seven when I realized who I am or who I was at the time, but who I am, what I felt, and what I thought didn't matter. And on top of it not mattering, in developing those beliefs that conveyed a feeling of worthlessness and not being good enough. And it seems like the moment I connected those dots, Life started filling in the blanks and actually feeling, stuffing my mental psyche with unlimited evidence or references that proved that over and over and over and over. In addition to being adopted, I had a different name from my parents and the rest of my family and siblings. I was the only one with a different name. So... I felt like I bore the discomfort of having to explain why I had a different name from everybody else. And that brought about another batch of issues. I feel like as children, so many of us learn so early on that who we are and 
or what we are and how we feel and what we think isn't accepted. If anything is ridiculed, if anything gets overlooked, if anything it's trying to be changed into something else or we're being tra uh, trained to ignore those things and ultimately as children we have to put a story with the why these very critical parts of our being is being ignored or rejected and the first thing that I think our minds do is we tell ourselves we're not good enough. Maybe you were the light-skinned uh, kid in a pack of darker-skinned relatives, or maybe you were the darker-skinned uh, relative in the pack. Maybe you were the thicker child in a pack of toothpicks, or maybe you were the toothpick in a pack of thicker relatives. Maybe you have five brothers and you uh, you have five brothers and you were the boy that were just uh, that was a little bit more feminine than the other brothers and you were ridiculed. Maybe you were the daughter with uh, several other sisters and maybe you weren't as feminine as they wanted you to be or, you know, the typical idea of what a young lady should do. Maybe you loved school but you existed in a family of people that didn't care about education. Maybe you struggled or you didn't enjoy school, but you grew up in a family of overachievers. It doesn't matter. Whatever your life experience is, you grew up in a way where who you are, what you think, and how you feel was not good enough. And it's important that as we continue to grow in this life, that we sit with those feelings. We have to take the time to sit with those feelings. In my house, we had a very violent reaction to discussing our feelings or discussing problems or solving conflicts and, you know, getting to the bottom of how something made someone feel. Um, we had an issue creating an open and honest dialogue between parent and child. Over the years, I actually come to create my own term just to describe my experience growing up. And even though this is just for me, I know it's not limited to just one race of people or Black people or anything. Everyone experiences this with their family. I'm sure it could be quite common, but over the years, I had a term that I developed called Black, uh, black Fragility. And it's pretty much the tendency of, you know, uh, Black people, at least in my household, to have a defensive, wounded, angry, or dismissive response to evidence of trauma or breakdown, <laughs> you know? And I've learned personally in my own life that sometimes silence is the only form of protection that you can count on, but somewhere along the line, we get lost in the silence and... We just stop feeling, we just stop caring, and we just really get out of tune with taking care of ourselves on a mental wellness scale. And what it taught me as a kid was that 
You'll have lots of things take place in life. There'll be tons of people. You'll have children. There'll be your home. Uh, there'll be your responsibilities like your home and different things that you'll have to do. But no matter what goes on, there'll never be enough time to take care of yourself and how you're feeling about things. My mom was the kind of person where she would speak her mind, but she doesn't address, she didn't address her feelings. She didn't address how things made her feel until it was too late. And then it was this erratic explosion of energy and anger and static and lightning and thunder and earth scorching pain and aggravation. And my dad, he just didn't show any emotion at all. And that just showed me again that we're not worthy of showing our emotions. We're not good enough to share our emotions and people will hear them and care. So early on, I actually developed an addiction to suffering and pain and it got so crazy to the point where when I went into chapters or periods of my life where there wasn't any suffering or pain, I just was never secure. I just sometimes I even manufactured the dysfunction just to make sure I was even killed, like I was on trend and I wasn't out of tune with my life. Just very dysfunctional way of thinking. And a lot of the beginning of my life was watching people and learning lots about managing misery, managing so much misery, never actually addressing the misery head on, never actually questioning the misery head on, but just trying to manage it, trying to keep it in Pandora's box and trying to keep it contained. Didn't, uh, you know, it just wasn't a lot of problem solving and curiosity and interrogation of the things that can plague your mental wellness or keep you from becoming a healthier, mentally healthier, emotionally healthier, psychologically healthier person. I was the kid that developed a hypersensitivity to the energy of my household. You know, I was able to pinpoint when the energy just changed, when the shit is about to hit the fan, when there's a lengthy two or three hour lecture coming. You know, I was able to definitely just pinpoint when the wind would change, when the wind would change direction or when the storm was coming. And growing up and feeling like I brought my family so much shame and embarrassment and that I couldn't be what they wanted me to be, that I couldn't act the way they wanted me to act or behave in the way they wanted me to behave, I figured I'll become the kid at least that follows directions, the kid where I won't give you any trouble, I won't be the kid that you have to bail out of jail or that'll be getting in trouble for stealing or the child that'll give you too many problems. If anything, I'll give you my undivided attention and obedience to compensate for my, for my not being good enough. I'll center my life on your validation since you don't know how to validate yourself. And I'll dedicate my life to just trying to make you proud. And you know, the last five years or whatever years, probably I wasn't successful, but I won't get tired. I won't get tired. 
And I feel like that's the case with so many of us. You know, we get into a place where we decide or we realize we're never going to be able to make this person, whether it's your mom, your dad, your grandma, your granddad, your aunt, your uncle, your guardian, whoever it may be. You get to that place where you decide, I don't know what to do to make this person happy. I don't know what to do to make this person proud of me. I don't know what to do to do the right. I don't know what the right thing is. I don't know what it looks like. So in you're not being feeling good enough, you find ways to overcompensate and that goes against your nature. And in that overcompensation, you get more and more and more and more out of alignment and more out of alignment with what you need and taking care of you. Jada Pinkett did a segment uh, with her mom and Willow Smith uh, on the Red Table Talk, and it was so, so, so informative. And it just blessed me, quite frankly, because I realized we all do that. The moment I heard her have say that thing, I realized I saw my mom doing that a lot. And I spent a lot of time when I was younger as a kid just wanting to do things to make her happy, just to show her that she's deserving of happiness. Whatever issues that you experienced before, you know, you had your children or whatever, that doesn't mean that you have to go on living your life in a way where you just have to focus on your kids and your own personal well-being or who you are as a person doesn't matter. You know, she actually opened up a restaurant recently and she's been talking about opening up this restaurant for the past few years or so. And she's been struggling with confidence and, you know, I just don't know if I'm going to be good enough. I don't know if it's going to be, if it's going to work, whatever like that. And I had to tell her that you have to do something that makes you happy. You have to have something with your name on it. You've raised tons of children. You've made so many sacrifices that you need to do something that's all you. That's all you. And as in, at this present moment, we're not particularly in communication, you know, because I had to step away to take time for myself outside the family unit to find myself and also experiment with loving people from a distance. But, you know, I go online sometimes and, you know, I go research or, you know, go on Facebook and I take a look sometimes. I'm just so proud of her for trusting herself and committing to a vision that's bigger than she is. Very proud of that. You know, even with my dad growing up, he couldn't always hear me when I'd be like, you know, Dad, when are you going to start another music group? Or when are you going to do this? Or when are you going to write another song? Oh, son, I don't have to do that. Or, yeah, I'll get around to it eventually. And just really not giving a damn about himself. And because he's gone on his development so long and getting out of alignment, you know, with providing for everybody else that he lost touch with what it means to provide for himself, even if it's just general contentment or happiness. And, you know, I feel like when it comes to the imposter syndrome, I feel like most kids inherit the imposter syndrome because they inherited from imposter syndrome parents 
And parents that have gone their whole life not feeling good enough and not feeling worthy of worthy enough and, you know, uh, people that suffer from avoidance and severe overwork in their jobs and their careers to try to prove to themselves that they're good enough. And then when they hit big or do something amazing or impressive, they turn around, oh, it's not big enough. And, you know, I don't, or I don't know how to keep this up. Or what if people find out that I'm a fraud and all this other stuff. And it's just such a chain. And I really want us to break this shit up. And I know I can't speak for everybody else, but I know for me, for myself, it has to start with me. And maybe you're listening to this podcast because you realize it has to start with you. Even if that means you have to do it alone. Even if that means you have to piss some people off. Even if that means you have to look and maybe sometimes feel selfish like you're just focusing all your energy on your damn self. I want you to trust the feeling anyway. You have probably have wirings and different, you know, thought patterns and different things that are in place that to combat that feeling of self-care and self-love and, you know, uh, self-awareness, but do it anyway. I learned in trying to pledge myself to, pledge my life to making my parents proud that it didn't leave much room to make me happy. And as a result, it made me resent them. And I'm not ashamed to say I'm actually being very honest and vulnerable, but and at times it even made me hate them. And, you know, I know how society says, you don't say that you hate your parents, that kind of thing. But I, you know, try my best to live a life where there's no place for a lie to hide or no place for the truth you know, to hide and for, you know, no lies, really just for neutrality and just to keep it real. And I saw that I made myself very deeply unhappy. And for a long time, I blamed them for that because I felt like they put me in a position to have to be that way. But I myself chose to do that. But one thing that they did teach me and unconsciously taught me was that and Iyanla Van Zandt taught me too that is that there are no sacred cows. And when I say there are no sacred cows, that means there are no exceptions to the rule when it comes to you doing what you have to do to be your best. When, you, when it comes to you having to do what you have to do to be happy. When it comes to whatever decisions need to be made to secure your peace. Because Yama says, anything that's not peace is dysfunction. And that is definitely one of the mottos for my life. Anything that is not peace is dysfunction. Maybe you're suffering from imposter syndrome because all the years that your mom or your dad or whoever told you that you're not good enough, you're not gonna be nothing, you're not gonna be shit, you're not gonna be about anything, and that no one will love you, no one will have you, no one will marry you, that your body is ugly, that you're too fat or whatever, you're too feminine, you're too masculine, you're a dummy, or you cling to books too much, whatever the, situation 
I want to make one thing really clear is that there are lots of different people that have imposter syndrome and they didn't necessarily have a tumultuous childhood. But in this particular segment, I'm speaking to my own experience and I'm speaking to people who have more than likely developed imposter syndrome from similar circumstances. So I do want to put that out there, that there are definitely many ways that imposter syndrome can be developed. But for the people or for the children, adults, <laughs> that developed imposter syndrome from relentless criticism in your childhood, you have the final say. You get to decide for yourself if you're going to believe that or ride that route. I feel like my 20s were a lot about, my, my 20s taught me a lot about how I'm not going to be treated. No, we're not going to do that. That ain't going to work. You're not going to talk to me like that. And the 20s taught me a lot about there being no exceptions to the rule. You know, if I'm on the phone or talking or visiting with my dad or my mom or my older sister or my older brother or grandma or whoever like that, my respect matters first. And it's not to say that your respect doesn't matter at all, but my respect matters first, second, and third. And if I'm in, in any situation where I feel like you're not caring about who I am, what I think, and how I feel, that trifecta, then it's a wrap and I'm not going to be bothered. You know, I know we all, and let me say, let me say something else. If I feel like you don't care about who I am, how I feel, and what I think in a way that I can recognize, it's a wrap and it's not going to work. And I feel like a lot of us need to adapt those same kind of boundaries. Don't entertain a relationship or a situation with any relative, friend, or more or less or whatever. And this person is, is violating you. This person abuses you. One lesson that I was able to learn very early on in my life as a result of my tumultuous experiences is that in this life, every man is for themselves. You know, we spend a lot of our lives in the beginning and everyone's telling you that family is everything and, you know, you can't do anything in life without family. And the thing is, you're in this life and you're going to need people. But all of us do not come into this life inheriting family or friends or people that we're told we're supposed to have magical relationships or bonds with. Some of us just inherit people that give birth to, to us. Some of us just inherit people that provide the means for our development until we're able to become adults to do it for ourselves. You know, some people, so most, all of us really, we inherit examples, proper examples. And in those examples, they mirror a lot of what we're to do and not to do when it comes to our life. Everybody, I feel like most people don't inherit parents. Parents is a title that's placed on human beings that are a part of the biological process of bringing you into this world or taking on the ownership of your development and raising you and developing you as a human. But at the base level, your parents are just examples. They're role models 
consciously and unconsciously of how you're to live, how you're to grow, how you're not to grow, how you're not to move and behave. And that big ball, that mixture of elements, you know, one thing that I have learned for sure is that we all have parents that we chose before we got here, whether you believe it or not, you know, whether you care or not, it's my understanding. I'm not going to say it's the truth. It's a idea that I've clinged to and one that perfectly works for me and it empowers me. It brings me a level of meaning and depth in my reality. But we all choose our parents before we get here. And if you're paying attention, if you're being a student of life, you eventually figure out why you chose them. And, it's, and it usually comes down to the fact that they're the Hogwarts for the life that you're to live while you're here. Whatever experiences, there'll be so many that you'll feel like your parents didn't prepare you for. But if they did, life would be predictable. So think about it. In our society, we've definitely been programmed to live an escapist, escapism type of reality where we're trying to escape our feelings, our realities, our emotions, and we're looking for quick fixes. We're looking for way big, uh, quick bridges, things to just counteract whatever we feel or know the truth to be. And most times life happens in a way that requires us to sit with our feelings and be with our feelings. I feel like my upbringing taught me that unconsciously because I grew up around people that did not embrace their feelings, people that looked at sharing and speaking to your feelings as being a victim, as being a crybaby, as being sensitive. And it took me a long time to wrap my head around that because I didn't realize, I realized it was dysfunction and it was toxic thinking, but I realized that I could share my feelings in a way that empowered me and can empower other people and that it's okay because I got programmed to the, to the thinking for a while that me sharing my feelings, I'm sounding like a victim. I'm sounding like I'm complaining. And it can be elements to that depending on who you ask. But the thing is, when I share my feelings, I'm trying to please no one. I'm sharing my feelings because my healing is of the utmost importance and it's always at the front of the line and I don't give a damn what anyone thinks. And I want you to have that same type of courage in prioritizing your healing, getting to the bottom of that weed, getting to the bottom of that weed in your garden that is infecting how you see yourself, that is impressing upon you that you're not good enough no matter what you achieve, no matter what you do, no matter what you accomplish. You know, if you just bought a new Ferrari, but you still feel like, but you're feeling like you don't deserve it because your parents are driving a Hyundai or you just moved into a condo, but you feel like you don't deserve it because all of your friends are still in studios or apartments and different things like that. Or if you just accepted a new job to be the director of a major Fortune 500 company and you, feel, and you don't feel like you deserve that because everyone you know is on average a cashier or 
or work at a bank or just something just drastically different. Maybe you feel you just graduated valedictorian of Harvard or Spelman or Stanford and you feel like you don't deserve it because you come from high school where the average ACT score was a 14. Yeah, you got it. It's time to get to the bottom of that. Someone, including yourself, but more than likely you had help, but you know, you had figure out where that started and start to question and sit with those feelings and get to the bottom of that because you are good enough. You are perfect. You are powerful and you are worthy of happiness. You are so, so worthy of happiness. And I want you to get this because I see you struggling. I feel you struggling. And I know that you need someone to let you know that it's going to be okay. It's also important that you hear from someone that has struggled in the same ways that you have that this shit will be okay and that you are more than good enough, that you matter, that you're brilliant, that you're intelligent, that you're beautiful, that you're handsome, that you're strong and that you're independent and you can do whatever you set your mind to. But we have to get to the bottom of these messy thoughts and and reactions that are getting in the way of us being our best self. In the next segment, we're gonna talk more about imposter syndrome and what it is and how it comes to be and how it can affect us. So stay tuned for that. Welcome back to the second segment of the medicine cabinet. So in this segment, we'll be talking more about what imposter syndrome is and how it can affect you and just giving a little origin and context to what it's about. Maya Angelou said, I can be changed by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. Now, I wanted to kick this segment of the episode off with this quote because I feel like when it comes to us as humans, so often, so very often, we can place our sense of self-worth and personal power in the results of whatever we're doing or whatever we're trying to accomplish. You know, if something goes wrong, if we fail, if we get it wrong, our self-esteem compromises or it declines and our personal power declines and just everything just goes to pot all together. And it's just such a cluster, you know, the rest for destruction and instability. And I think a lot of that in my personal experience can tie to imposter syndrome and the way we see ourselves. And as a result, we're unable to separate the results of what we do from the truth of who we are. With a little research, I actually discovered that the imposter syndrome was first diagnosed in 1978 by two clinical psychologists uh, named Pauline Clance and uh, Dr. Pauline Clance, excuse me, and Dr. Suzanne Imes. And what happened was they were conducting uh, interviews with 150 uh, very highly successful women, people, women that 
uh, society would define as brilliant and very successful and that kind of thing. And with the different interviews and questions and whatnot, the way it panned out in the end, everyone had superb test scores and testing and evaluations, but uh, when it came to the emotional component, everyone felt like an imposter who lucked up into their success or lucked up into a position or lucked up into a degree or felt like they were the recipient of positive discrimination. And as a result, they themselves felt like imposters of their own success, if you can imagine that. Jessamy Hibbert says that imposter syndrome is a condition where someone believes they're not worthy of success due to a single-minded belief in their lack of smarts, capabilities, and overall proficiency. And as a result, there's someone who's uncomfortable with their success. They're uncomfortable with their accolades. They tend to feel like their success came by way of luck or accident. And it's really a condition that can affect anybody at different stages of your life. You probably never, uh, never had the experience or the condition but in the beginning, but maybe you catch it around 40. Maybe you get catch it. <laughs> I made it sound disease. Maybe you develop it around 40, maybe 50. Maybe you had it earlier on and, you know, you found a way to dismantle it, but it came back 20 years later. It can really affect anyone. It's just in the way that you think. With imposter syndrome, you can definitely develop very strong, intense feelings of anxiety and paranoia because you're fearing that someone's going to find out that you're not really who you say you are. You're not really who your accomplishments say you are. And the more successful you become, the worse you feel, the more uncomfortable you are. So really it's kind of a prison because you become a prisoner to your own success. The more successful you become, the more miserable you become. And I relate very deeply to this feeling because for all of my life as a student, I've always excelled as a student. Studying, school, class, all of those things have always become, has always come very easily to me. But when it came time to go to college, I definitely stepped into a period where I was feeling very insecure because the average ACT score at my high school was a 14 and I got a 23 but you know you, you just when you come from that kind of background and now you're going to a university where it's more competition there's more kids and you know coming in I actually got a scholarship to sing classical music and I was the only person in my chorus and there were dozens of kids and my music teacher taught dozens of kids for years before me but I was the only one who got the scholarship so on top of being a city kid that came from what society might call a crappy high school I also had this scholarship and I just felt like it was a lot of pressure to perform and exhibit a quality standard of excellence to meet my agreement for the scholarship requirements and just to meet the standards for myself as a student. 
I had so many days and months and just went through so many periods of just wondering how I ended up at this school and what miracles came together for me to be here. And it was lots of self-sabotaging thoughts and feelings and energy and conversations that just over a period of time really made me feel like I wasn't worthy of the experience I was having. I was at school experiencing new cultures, meeting so many new people, going to different places, and just really experiencing a life that none of my family really knew about. And even though I felt lucky and blessed, I just wonder why me? Why do I get to experience this? Why do I have, why do I get to be on the end of experiencing this kind of freedom and joy? I actually ended up staying in school for about two and a half years, and I actually did pretty well. When I left school, I had about a 3.3 GPA. I actually went to uh, Jackson State University, for those of you listeners who went to JSU or you're still at JSU. (laughs) Woo-woo! But, yeah, when I left, I actually had a 3.3 GPA, but... There were circumstances and different things that were taking place in terms of the classes that I was required to take. And there was one class that I had to take, but it wouldn't be available for a year and a half. And and when that happened, I started thinking and doubting myself. And I started thinking that maybe life didn't want me to continue. Maybe this is a sign that school was supposed to be over. And I did what I was supposed to do or whatever like that. And, you know, I went back and forth with fighting those feelings. In the meantime, actually, you know, in going back to class, I went through periods where, you know, I'm just laid out there. And to college, I was definitely a poor college kid. And even though I stayed on campus, I didn't definitely usually didn't have a lot of money to get my clothes washed or, you know, do laundry, keep my hair cut, have food, be able to buy books and different resources when I need to, to always go out to parties or clubs or buy myself new clothes or shoes. And it just really, it really depressed me. And it depressed me because I grew up with an understanding that if I, you know what I'm saying, when I go to college, that there will be people there to stand in for me and make sure I had everything I needed to be successful and to succeed. And I felt like at this point in my life, I'm doing what everybody expected me to do. And now I'm not getting all the help and resources and love that I need to make this journey a little bit easier so I can endure and keep the dream alive, <laughs> if you will. And You know, I really just got into a low place and I just started blaming everyone for not helping take care of me and not help look out for me. And, you know, I resented my parents. I resented myself because I told myself that I should have got a job and I so I could prevent this so I don't have to be dependent on anyone. But I let people talk me into just focusing on my grades and they would take care of everything. And it was just really a lot of blame, blame, blame. And a lot of that blame and a lot of those thoughts and mindset came out of me feeling like I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve this. And when, you know, my parents or whoever didn't come with that support or that monetary assistance when it came to getting books and different things like that, I felt like 
that belief in my life and in my heart was being validated again, that I'm not good enough. They're not gonna help me out now because I'm not good enough or they feel like I'm not good enough or they know I'm not good enough. But either way, it comes back to not being good enough. And that was a hell that I self-imposed on myself. And I blamed them for a lot of the time because I felt like they had a lot to do with me not finishing and going the distance, but I'm learning that there's no power in that, whether it's true or false is irrelevant and that I have to take responsibility for my own life and that I thought those thoughts and that I imposed those beliefs on myself and nobody made me believe those beliefs and that it all starts and ends with me. With time and introspection, I had to learn that what makes imposter syndrome so vicious is that it links anxiety between your thoughts and your feelings and your behaviors. And ultimately they feed each other and feed off each other and reinforce each other. Whenever you don't achieve what you set out to do, it comes back to your feelings of not being good enough or worthy because you weren't able to do what you wanted to do. And this situation now proves it again. So we have more evidence and our existence becomes dedicated to finding the evidence that we're not good enough and that we're not smart or that we're not really successful or powerful. We're just lucking up somehow and getting by. And my chapter, my college chapter, was very indicative of that. And even though it was a very painful part of my life, it was also one of the most awakening chapters of my life because it showed me that I need to depend on myself and that I don't need to make any more excuses when it comes to doing what I need to do for me. My mom, my dad, whoever, they can't live my life for me. And whatever major goals I set in my life, I have to set myself up and align myself with that intention and do what I have to do to see that through. If it don't go, if it doesn't work out, it's my fault. If it works out, it's my fault. But in that being my fault, I don't have to look at it as fault. It's just my experience to learn from and grow. But I definitely had to learn that I had to take them out of the equation if I was going to take any accountability and responsibility for my life, which a lot that's a lot of what imposter syndrome entails. You have to take accountability for your life. You have to take accountability for those feelings, those sore, rough, traumatic feelings, whatever feelings that are existing that are creating this energy where you feel like an imposter in your own body and you feel chained and imprisoned to your own success. For a long time, I actually suffered from the knock-on effect is pretty much when you feel dissatisfied with your work or your career path and you tend to feel stuck, like you can't go anywhere. But at the same time, you're feeling more concerned about people finding out that you're stuck or not doing well or quote unquote, sucking at life right now. So instead of trying to push yourself out of that position and tackle that problem and grow, you feel more comfortable being stuck and staying where you are because you're scared that if uh, any new challenge that may come along, it might expose you and it might really expose you for the fraud that you are and 
Again, it's just a mind trap. There's just so many mind traps. And this can easily be you. Most people, most imposters are people pleasers. And for my own self, uh, that tends to come when you feel like you're not good enough or when you don't like who you are. So you'll do whatever just to make sure no one hits that nerve, no one exposes that, no one calls you out. And I was trained so early not to like who I am or not to love who I am, not to love and affirm my own power as a person. And for a long time, that put me in a place of being a people pleaser. I wanted to be everything for everyone. I wanted to make up for my lack and my inadequacies by sucking up, by always being there. You need money? I got money. Whatever you want me to do, there's no such thing as no. And I always got you. Call me anytime today. I'll sacrifice, I'll sacrifice, I'll sacrifice to my detriment. I'll burn out, I'll burn out again. I'll do this. You need your bills paid? You need help with your bills? You need someone to babysit your kids? You need, what's going on? I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And what I realized was that people held me to my limitations. People held me to those traps and people held me to those standards. And when it was all said and done, I combusted, I blew up, I acted a fool. I realized something in me, I needed to correct what's been done. And then at certain, a certain point, I realized I had to overcorrect what had to be done because once people get used to knowing you for what you're used to doing and what you, what you bring and what you offer, you know, it's hard to establish new boundaries and to introduce them to who you really are, who you are now. So I had to overcorrect. I had to be super stern. I had to yell. I had to scream. I had to go at it doggedly. I had to have screaming matches with my parents. I had to borderline curse out my mama. <laughs> you know what I mean? None, none of the things which I'm proud of. But when it comes to my development and having to make the mistakes I have to make, I own all of it because... One, I didn't ask to be here. Two, I didn't ask to be who I am, how I am, how I think, what I feel, none of those things. So to come into any space, anywhere, where anyone can make you feel inadequate as a person, as a child, as an adult, as a woman, a man, you know, as transgender, whoever, that is absolutely unacceptable. And there was a point where I realized I had to step in for myself and speak up for myself and show up for myself. And a lot of dismantling imposter syndrome is showing up for yourself, is realizing you don't have to be a people pleaser to just so people don't expose expose you for the fraud that you think you are. You are beautiful and perfect exactly the way you are. And you don't have to kiss no one's butt to hide or to stay hidden or to secure your place. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do any of that. Because after you spend so much time doing that, you feel like no one really knows the real you. You always feel misunderstood. You always feel alone. Like, I feel like for most of my life now, if not all of it damn near, that I've spent a lot of time feeling alone. It is because I've allowed people to back me into corners and make me feel like who I am and what I give and what I bring isn't good enough.
or it's wrong, or it's an abomination, or it just, just doesn't work for you. And at 32, I'm definitely at that place where it's like, screw you. It's me or you. It's me or you. I will come for anyone that, you know, tries to battle that understanding that I have with myself. You know what I mean? But it's also a blessing because it's also the very thing that allows me and makes me want to inspire others because I had the privilege of people treating me the way they did, but as a result, I can go forth and I always feel led and drawn to inspire the personal power and self-worth in others and compel others to see that they're beautiful, that they're gorgeous, that they are vibrant, that they matter, that you are included. You're included in the conversation. You're perfect exactly the way you are. Your body is perfect exactly the way it is, the way you talk, the gap between your teeth, your skin, whatever. You are exquisite and own that, live in that and be with that. Imposter syndrome can also go a long way in limiting your ability to be outgoing and trying new experiences and putting yourself out there to meet new people and take on new experiences because you're so afraid of being found out or discovered or being judged. And at the heart level, at the truth of it all, you have to realize people are going to talk about and judge you until they die. So that's one. We have to make peace with that. Two, most times when people are talking about you or have any judgment to make about you, it's usually because they envy something in you. They envy something about you, something about you that you possess that they don't, and they don't understand why you have it and they don't. So as a result, they develop this crappy, bitchy energy where they is just ingrained in them to want to bring you down because you have something they don't. So they have to undermine you before they feel like you're going to undermine them and make them not feel good enough. So it's really just a big circle, a big circle of patheticness, if you will. I myself, when it comes to judging others, like I'm definitely making uh, active efforts and strides to avoid judging people just because it doesn't reflect that on my character, but it also exposes that the insecurities that I have about whatever, anything that I'm judging someone on, I'm usually judging them because they embody something or they have something, they're wearing something, they're giving something that I'm not giving at this present point in time, and I'm salty about it. And even though I can own and be aware of what the situation is, I do also understand in the law of physics that what you put out comes back to you. So if I want positive and advantageous energy to come back to me, I need to be upfront about respecting others and not judging people, especially when I've went so much in my life feeling judged by other people. So it's time to share light and it's time to give energy. It's time to show love. It's time to compliment and not get nothing in return. It's time to over deliver. And it's time to just own the fullness and the beauty of who you are. 
because there is an inner beauty there, but you won't tap into it because you still think about all the mistakes that you made or how you might have lost your house or lost a job or how, you know, they promoted you and you were only there two months and you don't know how they promoted you that quickly or whatever, but there are no frauds. There are no mistakes. Your life is unfolding and unraveling exactly the way it's supposed to, but you won't be able to get to the next level and get to a better you until you get better. Imposter syndrome definitely goes a great way in preventing you from getting to know your true self and actually building a constant and secure, stable frame of reference when it comes to your personality and your identity and your being. When you're feeling in, like an imposter to your success or to your relationships or to your children and different things like that. It's time that's being stolen away from you from getting to know the real you. And it's bad enough as it is that a lot of us go through life where we never learn who we are. And when we learn who we actually are, we don't accept that because it doesn't sound cool enough. It doesn't sound girly enough. It doesn't sound masculine enough. It doesn't sound athletic enough, busy enough, productive enough, rich enough you know, stylish enough, spiritual enough, and smart enough, pretty enough, whatever. You know what I'm saying? We just don't accept ourselves even when we know who we are. But when you let this thing run your life, you're robbing yourself, uh, you're robbing yourself of time that you can be communing with yourself. And as a result, being with God, because to be with yourself is to be with God. And if you're feeling like an imposter in your own body and in the miracles that God is creating in your life, then you're also lacking gratitude. You're, you're lacking appreciation for your life and what's being bestowed upon you. So it can really go so many different ways. I find that Imposter syndrome can be triggered and agitated during times of transition and agitation and when you're getting ready to step into a new period of your life. And I love how Yolanda Van Zandt says, when you're getting ready to step into that next period of your life, you damn near got to pee on yourself. You damn near got pee running down your leg because it's just so big. You can feel that you're on the precipice of something new and unknown. But with your mind, it's hard to feel sure if it's something good, bad, or indifferent. But you have to take the leap. You have to do the work. You have to update how you view and receive yourself. More than anything, you have to understand that you're not making any mistakes. You're not living any life. You're not thinking any thoughts that are original. There are billions of us on this earth and you're sharing the same problems, you're sharing the same worries, the same insecurities, the same feelings, but you're seducing yourself into thinking you're the only one that feels this way. And that's not being loving. That's not caring for yourself. And it takes getting yourself or putting yourself out there to find other people like you, someone who has struggled with what you're going through and 
making your problems just seem a little smaller in a way that it feels more manageable, where you can tackle it, where you can dismantle it. It can maybe feel just a little bit more common because lots of times we feel like the issues or the things that we go through, our traumas are one in a million and no one will never, no, no one will never understand. And it's pretty much how we keep ourselves locked in the room so nothing can change. And we can be predict, we can be right about life being a predictable, dreary mess, but that's not a vision that's going to empower you. And you deserve a vision that empowers you. You deserve a life that makes you feel whole and fulfilled. You deserve to feel Love, you deserve people that make you feel loved and respected and valued. People that care about who you are, love you exactly for who you are, love and adore how you think. And they respect and appreciate how you feel and some. And for you to attract those things into your life, charity starts at home. The magic has to start at home. You have to start with yourself. You have to start by loving yourself and you have to start by understanding your patterns and where these thoughts came from. What is the, the main pattern or the main two beliefs or the main two events or whatever that occurred in your life that puts you on this road to feeling like you're not good enough? What will it take to remove the tension between how you see yourself and how you believe other people see you or perceive you? What will it take to remove the tension between the standards that you set for yourself and how you actually how you actually think you're doing as opposed to what you're doing? What will it take for you to no longer try to validate your worth and your power with overwork? What will it take for you to give up being a perfectionist? What will it take for you to silence that toxic inner voice that's leading you astray and not setting you up for success? What will it take? Welcome back to segment three, the final segment of this episode. And in this episode, or in this segment, excuse me, we'll be discussing reversing imposter syndrome. Brene Brown said, the truth is belonging starts with self-acceptance. Your level of belonging, in fact, can never be greater than your level of self-acceptance because believing that you're enough is what gives you the courage to be authentic, vulnerable, and imperfect. I wanted to start this segment off with this beautiful quote. I love Renee Brown. Love, love. She's my spiritual auntie. <laughs> love this quote, but it just highlights the importance that we can't complete our healing or get to the other side until we accept ourselves for who we are. You've probably done some crappy things in your life. You've probably made some mistakes. You've probably treated people terribly. You've probably done unspeakable things, but it does not mean that you're not worthy of love. It does not mean that you're not worthy of forgiveness. 
It does not mean that you're not worthy of faith, hope, and harmony, joy, peace, because you're worthy of all those things. Dead or alive, you're always worthy. Growing up and for a long time, people used to give me crap because they felt like, uh, you're just too vulnerable. You're just too transparent. You just lay all your business out. You just tell, tell everything. And it's because I want to have that superpower of not being able to be embarrassed. I've seen how people can behave and retaliate and react and respond when they feel like their dignity is being impugned or they're being embarrassed. And I want to have ownership and agency of me, my mistakes, my truth. There's nothing about me that you can use against me because I own all of it, you know? Like I was a bedwetter growing up. I was the kid that was too feminine at times. I was a kid that was too masculine at times. I was the dude that was too aggressive. I'm the dude that can be too intense, too deep, love too deep conversations that love to just you know, be curious. I was the boy that loved to hang around with the girls that would jump rope as opposed to being on the court with the boys that's playing basketball sometimes. I'm the guy that had to give up, you know what I'm saying, give up his car because he couldn't afford it anymore. I had to lose my apartment because I didn't feel like I was worthy of managing and keeping up with it anymore because I was working jobs that I hated. I hated who I was. I hated what I stood for, so I had to give up my apartment. I'm out of relationship with, you know what I'm saying, the people that I love at this present point because I had to separate myself and focus on me. I had to get to the bottom of who I am outside of my family or outside of my upbringing, outside of the religions that were impressed upon me, outside of everything that I was exposed to. I had to go into a hermit phase, become introverted, cut myself off and get to the bottom of the problems I'm having. I'm having. I had to remove myself so I can stop blaming other people for my mistakes and for my actions and learn how to be accountable for my stuff. I was the nerdy kid that got teased because I talked about school and can't wait to, for the spelling test on Monday when everybody else is just glad and relieved that school was over for the weekend. I was the kid that was teased because I used to drag a Cabbage Patch doll to church. I was the kid that played with dolls and styled dolls' hair when I was a kid. I even got ridiculed because my mom got me a mannequin for Christmas one time, and it was this major outrage that boys shouldn't be having those kind of Christmas gifts or playing with those kind of toys. I got teased for being super emotional, for being super sensitive, for wearing my heart on my sleeve, for being uh, a bigger, sturdier guy, being a gentle giant. I got teased for not knowing where my biological mom is. I got teased because my mom didn't warn me. I got teased and ridiculed for so many different reasons. And I've made so many mistakes. I've done so many things. But one thing that I know at the end of the day is that I am worthy. I'll always continue to be worthy of love. I'm worthy of love. You are worthy of love. 
And accepting yourself starts with the relationship that you have with yourself. It starts with how you talk to yourself, how you treat yourself. You may forget to bring the money or you got the wrong, you pull the wrong key out or whatever at the door when it's time to get into the house. Stop calling yourself an idiot. Stop calling yourself an idiot because you forget things or because you didn't know something the way you thought you did or because you didn't know someone or because that dude or that girl cheated on you. Stop calling yourself dumb and an idiot or just ridiculing and beating up on yourself for not knowing better. Every day that you're blessed to be here is an opportunity for you to know more, but for you to become your most confident, you have to embrace yourself as someone of royalty, someone that's worthy of respect. And when you start to respect yourself, like Gladys Knight says, when you love and respect yourself first, can't nobody touch that and can't nobody touch you. You have to build that. There's a fantastic channel on YouTube by uh, a channel called Honest Guys, and they have so many different kinds of meditations, and they have those for self-criticism, if you want to lose weight, uh, some with affirmations in them, longer ones uh, that kind of tell you a story while you close your eyes and meditate and just takes you on a journey. But I, I definitely want you to check that out. There's also, uh, what is her name? Marissa Peer. Marissa Peer is a fabulous, fabulous coach, uh, speaker. I'm not sure if she's an author, but I found her on YouTube and she has a video uh, about called I am, I am Good Enough. And she pretty much says that you should write I am good enough on your mirror or someone, somewhere that's visible in your house all over for you to see it every day and every day just practice telling yourself i'm good enough you know one thing that i had to learn how to do and i found this out from lisa nichols is getting in the mirror and talking to yourself society would definitely like to have you think that talking to yourself and all that is a bunch of woo-woo and esoteric nonsense but you need to talk to yourself because to talk to yourself is to have a conversation with god and you need to instill that love. You need to instill that hope. You need to tell yourself how you're feeling. You need to reflect. I personally do a thing where I get in the mirror and I set a timer for about 30 seconds, sometimes a minute, 45 seconds. And in that time, I look in the mirror and I have a conversation with myself and I discuss my day. I discuss how I'm feeling. I discuss how I'm proud of myself. I discuss what I'm forgiving myself for. I'm discussing the decisions that I'm going to make. I'm discussing that the person that I want to become. I'm discussing the methods that are necessary to become that person. I'm discussing how the decisions that I'm making presently in my life are aligning with my values. I'm having the whole key key, y'all. And it just takes that time. It's going to feel uncomfortable for a minute. But if you can't face you, you won't be able to face anybody else. And if you feel like that's untrue, then I, I pity you and I sympathize with you because we are trained not to be there for ourselves, not to express what we're feeling. And we're trained to keep it all in, to suffer in silence. We want trophy, trophies because 
You know, we got abused as a kid and we never told nobody for 40, 50 years and we think that makes us strong and it's just, no, it just makes you sad. You're still beautiful, but it just makes you sad because you feel like you're living in a world where you couldn't share that or get that off your chest. What it really comes down to is self-compassion. It takes soothing yourself. It really takes being your own parent. It takes learning from what you were raised with and what was missing in your upbringing and giving that to your adult self because you'll be a better parent to yourself than your parents can ever be. A lot of people get into that place where they're adults, they're full-grown adults, and they forego lots of love and breakthroughs and things they can experience for themselves, but they feel like it has to come from their dad or that it has to come from your mom or whoever. And that's the story you're telling yourself. And it doesn't necessarily mean it has to. You have to pinpoint the patterns, pinpoint when and when you tend to betray or mistreat or criticize yourself. What kind of situations does it usually happen at work? Does it usually happen when you're arguing with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Does it usually happen when you're talking to your mom or your dad or your siblings or friends? Or, you know, when does it usually happen? Pinpoint the patterns when you're being unkind to yourself. And in those moments, you know, take that time to be more patient with yourself. Even if you have to carry a compact mirror with you on the bus or wherever, take that time and pull that mirror out and look in that mirror and look in your own eyes and tell yourself what you need to know and tell yourself what you need to hear. Because it's something about hearing our own voice and inspiring our own voices, something magical and it's easier to break through to the subconscious than when someone else does it. And it takes taking that time out for yourself. Pamper yourself more, get manicures and pedicures more, get weekly massages, get things that make you feel powerful, get things that make you feel worthy. You know, take on services that make you feel cared for and served and do what you have to do to rebuild the, uh, the relationship with yourself. Invest in your skills, learn new skills, learn martial arts, start doing yoga, mountain climbing, rock climbing, get therapy. There's so many different types of therapy. If you can't get therapy, start small. There's a website called Better, uh, BetterHelp dot com where you can speak to different therapists and different things like that and it could be more affordable and more on your terms you can start there but it starts with you your life won't change your reality won't change the way you see things won't change the relationships you have won't change the the quality of people that you want in your life won't change until you do live a life of autonomy, mastery, and purpose, and find you a self-compassion model or self-compassion role model. Find as many as you can. Me personally, Oprah, Oprah inspires me so much because I feel like she has went through such a terrible upbringing. She has such a dark and gruesome childhood, but 
the way she overcame it and overcame so many obstacles and reinvented herself so many times to adapt to the demands of reality. The things that she's done to bolster her character and adapt to reality, to become a stronger connector, a stronger visionary, to uh, a stronger nurturer, um, whatever, you know what I mean? Like she has an interview on YouTube, an interview that she did in 1991. And that's such an inspirational interview because she just talks, she answers lots of different questions about her career and how she's been able to grow herself and become the person that she is. It's about an hour and a half, but it's so informative. I also admire Kiki Palmer because even though she's younger than me, she's such an old soul and she has a tremendous amount of wisdom. She has a book called uh, I Don't Belong to You, phenomenal, phenomenal read, where she talks about overcoming being a child star and plateauing in different areas of her life, maintaining the love and relationships with her mom or her dad, and just a lot of the hardships that she had to come through to be, to be who she are, she, to be who she is, excuse me. She is just a beautiful soul through and through. You know, there's also a book by a guy called Timothy D. Wilson that inspires me. His, it's called Redirect. And it talks about the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. And it's a phenomenal read in the matter that it helps us turn around and understand why we tell ourselves what we do and the stories that we make up about ourselves. Just a great read. And the last book that I want to reference before I wrap up this segment is The Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watts. Oh my God. You know what I mean? A powerful, powerful read. And it's pretty much a book that talks about anxiety a great deal. And when you read and follow the steps, it transforms and transports you into a higher paradox where you're able to understand your anxiety and leave it behind. And when it tries to show up or when you're triggered in old patterns, you know how to handle yourself. I really want to take the time to thank y'all for sticking with me. I know this episode is a little longer than usual, but this episode, like all of them, really, <laughs> is they're so close to me, and I have so much experience, and I'm still growing. I haven't conquered it completely, but I've taken a lot of steps, and I also study and research and pay attention to lots of different people like Kerry Washington, Jessica Alba, and Michelle Obama, Oprah, and all types of different people that have come forth come forth and talking about their battles with imposter syndrome. And this is a conversation that I think we need to spend more time having and getting into. I think lots of times when people have or divulge these feelings, they're ridiculed, we're ridiculed, we're looked at as being ridiculous, especially if we're living an impressive life where we have a dossier of accomplishments to the external audience, if you will, to people outside of ourselves or people that may not know us. This issue is also very important to me because I feel like there are already so many of us 
that may not necessarily suffer from imposter syndrome, but we're living imposterous lives, if that's even a word. <laughs> but we're living as imposters and we're living, comfortably living our life as people, our lives as people, and we don't even know who we are. We don't know who we want. We don't know why we go to work. We don't know why we have children. We don't know why we own this car. We don't know why we're in this career. We don't know why we let our parents treat us this way or our children treat us this way. We don't know why we serve the way we do. We don't know why we go to the church that we go to. It's just lots of things we don't take the time to understand. So imposter syndrome and even imposter related qualities and different things like that, all of it needs to be addressed. And we're going to keep talking about it. The next episode, I'm going to do a part two of in this episode about imposter syndrome. And we'll be talking more about the archetypes that can develop from you developing the condition and just how that can manifest and take hold of your life and take hold of your personality. And finally, the air segment, my favorite part of the episode, because I have this fervent, deep belief that a new life, a new person, a new identity can be born Whenever you want to, when you learn your power and what you're capable of, you'll experience this power for yourself. Whether that's five minutes from now, one minute, 30 seconds, 10 days, 10 hours, whatever, you hold that power. So with the first letter, E, emphasize. Emphasize your personal power. Emphasize your self-worth. Emphasize your shortcomings. Emphasize how much you matter, how much you're loved, and how much you're needed. Emphasize your strengths. Emphasize or develop a spiritual practice and emphasize the principle, the principles and affirmations. You know, I got to mention affirmations that they've been so helpful for me. Something that I do when it comes to taking, uh, doing my affirmations because sometimes it can get a little monotonous. I usually play the video game. I do something routine, whether I'm cleaning, playing a video game, or whatever like that. Maybe you can do it while you're curling your hair. You can do it while you're on a treadmill. You can do it while you're cleaning. You can do it while you're in the car. You can just find a way to combine it. Habit stack, and uh, James Clear gave me that idea. But habit stack and find a way to combine it with something else that's very passive that you can do them both together. But yeah emphasize. The second letter, R, repose, put to rest. Repose, repose your mistakes. Repose that time that you got into a fight with your brother. Repose that time that you almost hit your mom or your dad. Repose the things that people gossip and talk about you with. Repose the insecurities or the way your butt looks when you wear those jeans or that your muffin top isn't where you want it to be yet and you can't wear the shirt that you want to wear. Put all of that to rest, repose. And instead, fill those things with positive references. Find people who share the issues or the problems or the puzzles, I like that best, who share the puzzles that you're putting together and that you're figuring out. 
Find someone who has a bigger issue. If you're someone that struggles with losing weight, find a good book. Um, I promise you there's somebody out there, there's tons of books. You probably have to find the author or the person that speaks to you personally, but there's someone that can teach you about going through that. Maybe you're trying to quit your job to start a, bu- a business, a bakery or whatever. There's someone who's done that and they can tell you exactly how to do it. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll follow exactly what they did and you'll be on, but the wisdom will come in handy and it will it will allow you to profit from someone else's timeline without necessarily making all the mistakes that they made. You'll have your own, but supply yourself with references. Make your issues a little bit more common because when they feel special and unique to us, we don't take action, we don't do anything. We're paralyzed by analysis and we're scared and we're not doing anything, we're not going anywhere. So find you some references. You know, for a long time, I used to get down on myself about not doing enough or about not making enough or about not living the way I wanna live, but I envisioned my ancestors, them living in the 1800s or in the early 1900s and having to escape from plantations without knowing how to read or knowing where they're going or not having any money or not having to change of clothes and, you know, all types of different things and just stress and just impossible situations that they must have went through, but they made the shit happen. They did it anyway. Sometimes, most times, life is about doing it anyway. Doing it while you're scared. Doing it while you don't have a plan. Doing it while you don't know the hows and the whys. But doing it because you feel led to. You feel guided to. You feel compelled to. You feel life calling you to. Do it without the understanding. Do it because you just know there's something greater than you at play and that's speaking to you. Do it without all the pieces. Do it before you're ready. Do it. Propose. And lastly, A, absolve. Absolve yourself from the unhealthy relationships and commitments that no longer serve you. You may feel like if I stop sending them money or stop sending my my family money or stop taking care of them, how are they going to eat? How are they going to live? That's true, and that's probably a factor. And let's be clear, I'm not going on record for trying to suggest or, you know, compel anyone to start drama with their families or anything like that. But I care about you. I care about everybody, but I care about you because it's debilitating you. It's hurting you. It's holding you back. You can't start school yet because you're still working an extra 20 hours just to make sure you have enough money to send them or to take care of your brother or to take care of whoever. Absolve yourself from situations and relationships and different things that don't serve you. Absolve yourself from guilt and blame that don't belong to you, the blame and guilt that other people put on you so they don't have to be accountable for their life or their mistakes or their issues. Free yourself from anything that's keeping you from flying, anything that's keeping you from flow, anything that's keeping you from your personal best. Maybe it's your adult kid that still wants to argue with you and still wants to cause problems and do this and do that while you're trying to pass the bar. Tell, you know, if you have to, get a new number. 
you know, change the locks. Do whatever it is that you have to do to absolve yourself and free yourself. Be willing to get radical about change. Be willing to get radical about putting you first and understand that it takes courage and it definitely takes not giving a damn what anybody thinks about you because when you start doing what works for you, people are going to get pissed off because you're not doing what you want to with what they want you to do because you're not going by your regular or typical patterns. And, you know, they usually rely on you being so ingrained to take care of family and put family first and put family before your needs and what you need. But it's, that's time out for that. We have to give energy to, and we have to consume, we have to welcome and invite things that energetically invite abundance and energy and love and radiance and passion and remove a lot of the sad and dreary obligations and things that are still around because that's what I've always done. I've always been the one that takes care of everybody. I've always been the one that pays everybody's bills or pays everybody's phone bill or whatever. So there you have it. Emphasize, repose, and absolve. Take one action, take two, take all three. Start with one for one day, one hour. Start with one for one week and then try another one the next week. Try two the next week and so forth. But give those a shot. Understand that it's important that you recognize that you're good enough. Find references and resources that reflect that back to you. Find people who genuinely bring that out of you. Find the will to... Be more compassionate and patient with yourself because you deserve patience. You deserve unconditional love and you deserve an energy that brings the best out of you and inspires you to pursue the highest expression of your being. Now, this is the end of the episode and I pray and I ask that you guys subscribe and share this down, I mean, share this episode, download this episode, share and tell your family, tell your friends, tell whoever, pass this message around. The show notes will be available if you need them uh, to take a look at them. I also ask that if you're willing, please donate to the podcast. This is how we keep it going. I appreciate you anyway. And, and lastly, I just want to thank you again for supporting the MetaZen Cabinet, where we get experimental about exploring your potential. Thank you. Peace.